time, and we pray that you will be present in your, uh, in your power, uh, that you would bring, uh, bring our hearts to new power that is coming from the finished work of Jesus for us. Father, don't leave us where we are, but continue that process of transformation. We come to you and ask that we could be attentive to your word, and that this might uh, truly be uh, the word of God brought to bear upon our hearts, and so that you would be the authority, you would be the voice, and you would be the, the pleasure uh, behind all our motivation. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm told that in Christian publishing, Christian publishing, uh, there's a key word if you want to have a book published. A key word. You want to put this word on the title of your book. Um, and that word is transformation. The word is transformation. So you could put something like the transformed husband. Yeah. Ladies, would that you might buy that one, right? The transformed child. Ah, there we go. I'm drawn in, right? Transformation. Uh, I use the word. We use the word here as a church. Transformation. It's a great word, isn't it? It's packed with hope. It's a word with big promise. Transformation of what? That might be a better question. Transformation of what? In the Christian life, we have the transformation of our wants, our desires, our needs, our goals, our identity, and, of course, our understanding of God and the gospel. Transformation of critical aspects of what it means to be a human being. These are underway. Your, your desires... Your wants are being transformed. The kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus described in Matthew 13, verse 44. He uses a one-sentence uh, parable <laughs> to describe the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. In one sentence, Jesus describes the kingdom of God and what it is like. It is like a treasure. Well, that's a description of our lost condition. That is, that we, if we are going to be found, if God's going to redeem us, if we're going to be rescued by his grace... It will include a new estimation of the kingdom. Our lostness includes the idea that we do not understand the precious value of the kingdom. If we could rightly perceive the value of the kingdom, we would be transformed at the level of our motivations. And you, we all can identify with that, right? If you have the desire for it, to purchase something, 
Uh, and the advertisers love this at this moment. <laughs> They're trying to create that desire. If you have the, the desire for something, that's really just sort of the key, isn't it? I mean, if you really want to purchase this thing, you might even go into debt in order to purchase it because the desire can often feel overwhelming. Jesus uses this imagery to the man who discovered the treasure in the field is overwhelmed with the value of that treasure. He gets it. He, he understands it. Now, why do I bring up this? Transformation is key to the gospel. Transformation is a critical truth with the gospel. God is committed to transforming our desires. We have only to watch Jesus' ministry with his disciples. To watch how their desires are all over the place. They want esteem. They want prestige. They want greatness. And this, this changes in time. And we see them different on the other side of the resurrection and the day of Pentecost and the life that's described in the early church in the book of Acts. We see them living differently with different power and different motivations. Now, it's, we are looking now at Luke 23, and it's a bit of a shock to the system to suddenly just drop in on the, the crucifixion of Christ. Um, but here we are. And to do this justice is a bit of a challenge, but... What a remarkable moment for us to look at when we see Christ under such anguish, such physical pain, and yet we see him demonstrating power. We see him, in a sense, while it looks like everyone else is in control, He's actually in control of his own spirit, for sure. And we see something in here of his grace while people are radically failing him. And I was just intrigued as I thought about the, the crucifixion itself and the, the disposition, the attitude of our Lord with these nails through his body and his concern about others. I mean, I, can't, I have to say, when I'm suffering, I, I don't know, uh, not many others are on my list. I, I, it's, and so, let me just, I want to propose a couple of, of questions for us. The first question is, what do we, what do we see in Jesus? Just, just real simple, what do we see in Jesus? He's not defined by how he is treated. really is quite opposite of, our, of how we've been taught to, be, to understand ourselves. I'm the sum total of my upbringing. I'm the sum total of my DNA. I'm the sum total of my, the chemicals in my body. Now, those things have influence on us. But do they define who we are? Do they excuse us? They don't. Jesus is not defined by how he is being treated. He is present for the needs of others present he 
he fulfills the second great commandment to love others as ourselves. The cry of Jesus, the first word from the cross, Father, forgive them, verse 34, for they know not what they do. Father, if you can find in your heart mercy for these who are committing this treacherous act, give them mercy, give them forgiveness. Forgive them, Father. Now that really fulfills an an aspect of what it means to love your neighbor, to give your neighbor what they need, what would be best for them. So if someone is committing an atrocious sin, you would pray, oh God, you know, forgive them. Give them mercy, right? That would be a kind thing to do. The one who had the right to condemn doesn't. The one who had a perfect sense of justice forbears. We see one who is resting in the Father's reserves for him. Just think about this. To love, you've got to have some emotion. <laughs> you've got to have some emotion. We're not talking about how the Stoics might love, you know, with no emotion and no feeling. Love is to have, like, you're supposed to really love, and it's supposed to show up in your face and in your, in your gestures and in, in the way you carry yourself. To love means to, to be engaged, and emotions are important. Think of the emotional reserves that Jesus has while he's suffering, and he has emotional reserves for these who are committing this crime. By the way, it's okay to be absolutely blown away by the grace of Jesus. It's okay. We are just supposed to, at this moment, we're just supposed to be kind of quiet, like, wow, this is wild. This is amazing. We see one who rightly interprets how to respond to suffering. Rightly interprets how to respond to suffering. I still haven't graduated from that class yet. I do not rightly respond to suffering even at this stage in my life. We see one who does not demand the the place of privilege. You, You know that they are all to be bowing down to him and worshiping him. We see one who is so humble that he cannot be humiliated. What do we see in Jesus? His grace and his willingness to welcome sinners is still present in him. He's not turned in bitterness to them. Even while he is personally experiencing anguish, pain, and humiliation, and then this remarkable thing, a remarkable conversation, there's a conversation going on on the cross between the thief who asks, makes really essentially it's a statement He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a man who is looking into this abyss called death. And he doesn't want his personhood to be swallowed up into nothingness or whatever death might be as he understands it. And he cries out as a human being, 
What I most need is to be remembered as a person. And Jesus, out of his heart, he has room for this man's requests. And if I'm suffering, I don't listen very well, by the way. If I am hurt, I don't listen very well. Uh, Jesus is suffering and he is uh, radically hurt. And he has the ability to listen to someone else. This radical human failure to love was on display all around him, not responding in bitterness, but actually compassion for one who had a request of Jesus. Yes, you will be with me in paradise. The thief could perceive the largeness of Jesus' heart. He could sense there's something in him where he has He has room for my request. He's not preoccupied with himself. He has room for me. He has a willing heart. No doubt the thief had heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. You mean there's the option of forgiveness even at this late stage in life. That's what the Father's heart is like. The first cry of the cross is the work of a priest who intercedes for others. He takes upon himself their weakness, their sin. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? We are to move and be moved by this same kind of grace, this same kind of power. This interpersonal power is to be functioning in the followers of Jesus. There is to be within us the capacity to embrace those, to interact with those, to listen to those who have hurt us, or are hurting us to engage them. This is the transforming power. My wants, as I've been raised, my wants, as I've been nurtured in this life, the way I have been trained in this world is, you commit pain, you you bring me pain, I return the pain. Snub you, cold shoulder, something. I do not interact with people I do not give grace to those who have inflicted pain on me. So the gospel is a power at the deep levels of our heart. Now, if you are just a remarkably nice person, I would like to have you as a co-worker. (laughs) I would like to be with you. You just respond nicely to to hard things and to life. You're just, you're just nice, right? I hope that if you are that person, you are today saying, yeah, I look nice, but inside I'm not responding graciously. Inside I'm not enjoying this, nor am I believing and trusting in God. I'm just smiling and counting the, the moments down when I can be out of here. 
What we want is to be at peace inside and engaged with this fallen world and fallen people with real relational power. Now, what power is available to me? Let's ask this question. So what do we see in Jesus now? What power is available to me? Um, The account of Jesus on the cross really does its work on us. The written record of Jesus on the cross has real staying power. Generations have read that account, been silenced before its awesome display of glorious love, and it has brought many, many to faith. Over the centuries, it has gripped countless hearts. It cannot be read or heard casually. Imagine daily thinking on one of the gospel accounts of Jesus on the cross. Imagine doing that daily, what it might do in your life and your heart. If you're thinking about those who do not believe, perhaps you have a coworker. by way of evangelism, this would be a very simple thing to say to someone. Look, just read the account of Jesus and his crucifixion and tell me what you think about this. Introduce them to the Christ of the cross and watch what happens. The power to have a large heart for sinners, the power to understand. What power is available to me? The power to have a large heart for sinners and the power to understand them, to listen And the power to see my sin as bigger than their sin. If we were to dwell at the foot of the cross long enough, we would be there as sinners, not as righteous people. We'd be there as sinners. And what would happen is our our esteem of ourselves would rightly descend deeper and deeper because we'd realize the length to which God had done to rescue us and our sense of superiority over someone else will diminish. The power to see my sin as bigger than their sin. That's the power that's available to me. This moderates my response, my harshness, that would see their sin as bigger than my own. If I perceive someone else's sin to be worse than mine, I immediately take the throne of judgment on them. I don't have a way to moderate my response, and I move into the position of judgment. There is power in the grace of God toward you just at that moment when you want to be self-focused, just at that moment when you want to push someone away, there is power to think about them to let faith, Galatians 5, 6, to let faith work through love. The power to forgive when it feels impossible. The power to restore when there is the impulse to condemn. The person next to you, here is a truth about them. Jesus paid for all their sins. 
It's not your job to make sure they pay for them again. Let's be free. Let's move toward people, step away from the judgment chair, the power to listen, the power to live by faith for them. We can conclude that people around Jesus that day were not that helpful, can't we? I'm being a bit sarcastic. We can conclude that these people were not working uh, to, to help Jesus. Yes, we can conclude that. And so he defies all human understanding. He is gracious, thoughtful, others-centered when it makes no sense. It's remarkable. Why do we have this account for us? Of course, this is the epicenter of God's love. This is where atonement for sin takes place. This is where we, we have our gospel, God incarnate on our behalf. Yes, all those are great theological truths. What's the takeaway on this? Of course, we will never be able to perfectly emulate or imitate Christ. But is that same disposition and and spirit of Jesus in that moment, those hours, is that to be embodied in us? You see, this is the message from the cross that sneaks in the side door of our hearts. God, you're calling me to the humble place with an amazing amount of reserves from my Heavenly Father to love when I'm not loved. To forgive, to extend grace. In fact, as we study this, you look at this longer and longer, you'll begin to ask this question, what are people for? And then we ask the question, why do we give them such power? Does God intend for us to find power in his view of us, his kindness toward us, his grace toward us, his sufficiency toward us, his life in us? Is that where we're to find the resources for living? And then people take on a different role. As Counselor Ed Welch says, we are to need people less and love them more. So it's very, very true that Jesus doesn't need people on this on the cross. We've lost sight of the treasure that's in the field. When people have become too big for us, we've lost tre- sight of the treasure in the field. I find treasure in people's responses to me. I find treasure uh, in my current approval ratings. That's where I find my treasure. Instant, right? The thief is requesting just to be remembered. And we have a remarkable insight into how to encourage other people. Do you know how to encourage someone? Larry Crabb was right on when he said this. He said that we encourage people by speaking to a fear in their heart. So the man's fear was, 
I think I'm just going to go into some non-existence where I will never be remembered again. Jesus speaks to that fear, says, not only will you be in paradise, you'll be with me in paradise. Encouragement is an underdeveloped skill in the church. We're not close enough to each other to hear the fears and then to speak to those fears, to encourage them. And Jesus speaks to this fear. And that power is available to us, that power, the power to minister to others when they are not coming through for us. That is really remarkable. Now, how do I access this power? So what's this power? What is the power that's available to me? It's this relational, gracious power. But how do I access this power? Now, I want to use an illustration, and I think there's a young adult here who might remember this. I'm looking at you, Zoe. So hang on. Um, I've been thinking about how is it possible for us to serve others and to live in power. I've been trying to figure out how to illustrate this for you. And um, so in 2013, Trinity Christian School seniors went to Europe. And we found our way to Paris, France, and we had an option of what was one option was going to the Louvre, the Louvre. That's how the French say the Louvre, right? The Louvre, and the other option was just to go do touristy things or something, right, Jeannie? Do we know? All right, all right so, so was, was the Eiffel Tower? Okay, all right, those are two great options. Okay, so, so the artsy kids went to the Louvre, the art museum there, right? Now I I distinctly remember trying to figure out my own restlessness at this moment because I think it was 30 bucks a ticket, something like that. It was, it was ridiculous, right? It was really expensive. And uh, Amaris and a couple of other students, Zoe, and just about, and we, we went to the Louvre. And one of the students was recovering from a leg injury. Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. So this means they are moving very slowly and you don't go through Europe moving slowly, right? The tourists move quickly. Now I could feel, I could feel the anxiousness of the students who'd never been in the Louvre. I've been there before. And I began, I tried, I did, I did this very poorly, but I thought this might help. I don't know. It's probably not good for me to do an illustration where I look pretty good. That's probably not good. So I did this. I thought to myself... All right, Todd, this young girl is going to move real slow through this Louvre, and someone's going to have to be with her. And a lot of other students have been graciously with her throughout the whole trip. I mean, she really could not move very fast with one of her legs, right? And so I thought to myself, well, I've already seen the Venus de Milo, the famous Greek statue, and I've already seen the Mona Lisa. Uh... But, of course, I'm, I'm wanting to see the Louvre, of course, and I want to move fast, and I'm, I'm ready to go. And then, of course, we have this student who's going to move very slowly. So who is going to get stuck with this person? And I think to myself, but I've already seen these things. 
That's not such a big deal, is it? I've already seen these things. Now, I didn't stay the whole day with her. Others ch chimed in. Everyone else, everyone else pitched in. But that little thought helped me in my own natural selfishness. That helped me to minister to her and to not make her feel bad about her condition and just kind of hang out with her and not be anxious. Right? It's a, it's a real simple thing, right? problem for us Christians is this. We have not seen clearly enough the grace of God for us that allows us to lose our self-interest. We're not working at hanging around the cross, applying scripture to us, bathing in this grace. We're not working at that. We're not studying the Mona Lisa so that on a, on a particular day you don't have to see the Mona Lisa. You've already seen enough. Does that make sense? This is, this is it. How the disciples cared about the world where they went into this very risky world, a, a death, a pro-death world, <laughs> and they would be part of that agenda. How could they face a world that is not going to give them what they need is they've got to see clearly the grace of God for them. Peter put it this way. 2 Peter 1.3 What's available to us, essentially, he says, is di His divine grace has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's not found in people. This is the field that's worth purchasing. His divine grace has given us treasures in Christ. Jesus knows the Father's riches of grace. And on the cross, he gives them away. How do I access this power? I give up on my insistence that others must treat me a certain way. I give up on it. I cast aside my sense of privilege and righteousness and I find the reserves to love in my heavenly Father's love toward me. Jesus can see clearly what is going on. These people are in anguish. They're in the grips of sin. It's a form of insanity going on and what they need is forgiveness. What this man on the cross needs is a listening ear. And he needs what I can give him. And of course, Jesus gives him the assurance of eternal life. What Jesus sees in others is not the basis upon which he, uh, the basis on how he responds to them. That is power, folks. That is power. This is transformation. Transformation is the power to do what you cannot do of, in and of yourself. It is faith working through love. And may you find his grace to be sufficient in those moments 
when you are called to forgive, when you're called to extend kindness, when you're called in those moments to do what feels so impossible. And may you see and perceive and understand the riches of his grace for you and that they are sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that faith works through love. We thank you for this gospel that is powerful. Father, we ask that you would be our treasure and that we would live by faith in these moments, knowing that your reserves for us are infinite and unending. And so, Lord, give us, give us the, the strength and the power to serve and to love. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. continue to extend to you any kind of additional